0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the ShuttlePod podcast. The podcast you're about to listen to was recorded on June 18th, 2018. Just after we heard the news, the showrunners for Star Trek Discovery, Gretchen Berg and Aaron Herbert's, had been fired, and that Alex Kurtzman had come in to replace them. The following day, when we were getting ready to edit and distribute this podcast, an even bigger news bombshell hit the newsstands. Alex Kurtzman's deal with CBS would be extended for an additional five-year mission in which Kurtzman would play a major role in shaping a Star Trek extended universe for television. Obviously, this outdated our original podcast, which focused on the news of the ousting of Gretchen and Aaron. For the rest of this hour, we discuss the shakeups surrounding the leadership of Star Trek Discovery, and we take a look at Trek's history of shakeups and leadership, and how they've affected the franchise. To hear our thoughts on the expansion of Star Trek for television, check out our last podcast, Shuttlepod number 52. For now, enjoy Shuttlepod number 53, a history of tumultuous times in Star Trek's leadership. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Shuttle Pod Podcast. This is Shuttle Pod number 52. Today is Monday, June 18th. I'm your host, Kayla Iacovino, and I am joined today by Jared Whitley.
1: Good evening, Kayla. Matt Wright. Hey, guys.
0: And Brian Drew.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: So we actually pushed up our schedule for recording podcasts this week. Um, We weren't scheduled to record for another week, but we've just learned that the showrunners of Star Trek Discovery, Aaron Harberts and Gretchen Berg, have been let go. They are no longer uh, with the production. Um, Of course, uh, Aaron and Gretchen were the two showrunners brought in to take over after Brian Fuller's exit um, at the very beginning of production on season one. Um, and the, the, the timing on this whole thing um, is a little bit of a shock, I think, uh, partly because they're partway through filming the second season. They've, they've just wrapped up f- filming the fifth of 13 episodes and now we're going on a, a, a pr- an already planned hiatus, um, at which time it seems like they're going to kind of regroup um, and start up with. Um, the new showrunner who is going to be Alex Kurtzman, which is actually a guy who's been on the production uh, since its inception. So Alex is kind of, to, kind of going to step in and fill the void a bit. But the other reason it's strange timing is that literally the day before this news was announced, um, Aaron and, and Gretchen were out uh, doing you know press junkets and all these things as part of the, uh, their bid for Discovery to be nominated for an Emmy. And right now uh, is the time where shows are getting together and making these videos and making different, um, having different press events to try to say, for your consideration, uh, you know, please nominate our show for an Emmy. Um, so, Jared, why don't you tell us a bit about where Star Trek Discovery actually stands with the Emmys?
1: Okay, thank you, Kayla. I sure appreciate that. So we're in what, what's now called the nomination round voting, where sort of everybody just uh, swings for the fences and says, uh, you know, nominate us in every possible category you can, even if there's no real uh, um, chance, I guess you'd say, in some of these. And so you you'll see some articles that say that uh, kind of give the impression that it might have already received nomination like dozens of nominations, which actually aren't true. And something that I appreciate is we had a, a nice article that zeroed in on a few of the categories that it might get, it might do the best in, you know, and and other the ones you you predict the the technical ones costumes, uh, hairstyling, makeup, particular prosthetic makeup, visual effects. The one where I would really like to see Voyager, uh, not Voyager, uh, uh, Discovery get a little love is Cinematography. I thought this was a beautifully shot show, and I also, I really like the main title design. I don't know what, I can't remember what you three said you thought about it, but uh, it uh, I really liked I really liked it from the get-go. The, the problem, though, is that Star Trek is no longer the big kid on the block for these technical categories we have a lot of uh, high-concept shows like Westworld and Game of Thrones, Handman's Tale, Stranger Things, and these might s- capture attention away from genre shows like Star Trek Discovery. The other problem is there's going to be some of these where Discovery is going to compete with the Orville and also the, bl- the uh, Black Mirror, particularly the USS Callister episode. And we'll, uh, by, by the, in the next week or so, they'll close voting and then we'll announce who are the actual nominees are on July twelfth. So look to Trekmovie.com to see our reporting on what nominations Discovery might get.
0: Right. And so while all this is going on, this this, you know, all this hubbub about trying to get nominated for the Emmys, um, right in the middle of this is when the showrunners of Discovery get fired. And Which
1: which can't be good publicity, right? It's not that it's no, not good no.
0: publicity in two ways. One, mm. it there, it signals that there's something serious wrong with the show yeah. Uh, and, the, and two is the reason that they were let go. Right.
2: Yeah.
3: And they clarified that it wasn't a creative reason. So there aren't like problems with them making season two per se. It's way more about their attitude and things that their behavior in the writer's room, it seems like.
2: And also, apparently, they called it an operational issue as well. Yeah. The- the first several episodes apparently went way over budget to the right. point where they now have to reconfigure the back end of the season to accommodate for lesser budget, so yeah. expect more bottle episodes, I guess, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I mean, we were not in the writers' room, obviously, we don't know what happened, but you could kind of glean that maybe they were in over their heads a little bit, mm. yeah,
0: but it got it got I mean it got to the point where I mean what was described in the trade press? um you know from sources on the show is verbal abuse from the yes. showrunners to the writing staff yes. and for a show repeatedly. that repeatedly and, and also trying to um n- disallow the writers from taking it anywhere from filing any kind of complaint with HR um they ah. they were told not to do that specifically yeah that's yeah.
3: that's the first like sort of desperate tactic somebody like that us, yeah. I mean, no, 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 you need to keep it in house. Like, don't, no, you don't need to do that. Like, yeah, or we take care of our other. own, yeah, that, that's yeah, yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Sign yeah, of an abusive relationship,
1: right? Where it's exactly. Like, no, I, I didn't abuse you,
0: right? Yeah,
3: and you certainly don't
1: need to go tell anyone
0: else about
3: this, right? And, yeah, right, and, right. And
0: right. Yeah. for a show who, even as part of their Emmy bid, is trying to say how woke they are, you know, and how <laughs> we're. Huh. it's a show about understanding the other and diversity yep. and all this stuff. And
1: yeah, looks terrible. It, this yeah. looks bad
0: because <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <it laughs> this does. is the opposite of what they've been promoting. And, yes. and,
1: and, and from what I understand, this, this is not a, a one-time thing. Like uh, uh, when Christian Bale got mad at that guy on the Terminator set, this is like persistent. Right. Right. Oh, boy. right.
2: Yeah. That was just, that was just him losing his cool. That yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: As re- rather than a pattern of disrespectful behavior yeah. right right
2: right yeah it, it's unfortunate and you know anytime this happens it's obviously shakes things up for the people working on the program and it can unnerve obviously people like fans who watch this stuff closely but because discovery has had such a rocky start to its life mm-hmm. this actually make looks worse than it probably actually is
3: right. You We're think? so sensitive to it.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we don't we, until we see how the season unfolds creatively. It's hard to tell. But like, if, if maybe if they had been let go and they had to bring in somebody from the outside to take over right now, that would freak a lot of people out. The fact that Kurtzman is there mm-hmm. and it is his show, <laughs> right. he co-created it with Brian Fuller. There, I think there'll be less of a disruption than there might have been otherwise.
3: Right. For example, it was really it was quite disrupting to have Fuller leave early. Yeah, on. that was, gigantic. That and, was and, gigantic. And then when they did that, of course, to, um, they sort of felt the need to fill the vacuum not only with Harberts and Burke, who they basically just quickly promoted to showrunner. They were st- they they were just Fuller's right hand, you know, kind yeah. of people, but mm-hmm. they weren't actually showrunners. They would never run a show before.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. They got thrown in the deep end. Aaron yeah. and Gretchen. Yeah. Um, and they not they weren't they didn't know a lot about star trek either as no. matt was just saying they were kind no. of there to help brian fuller for faci- right. you know facilitate his vision of what discovery was going to be and,
3: and part of this like vacuum that was being filled is was with uh, bringing in akiva goldsman for season one which was also right. not necessarily a great choice as we've sort of analyzed before this is a much sort of quieter piece of news but it was all announced the same day he's not returning for season two either which i think is probably Everyone's happy about too, and I think
0: it's key that he he didn't come back from the beginning of season two, right, so like Har- he's just gone. right Harbertson Berger yeah. just out at the end of se- at the end of episode five. Akiva hasn't been back since the end of season one,
3: which is good, right. honestly. Yeah, I <laughs> he, agree. He, he didn't seem to be really a positive force there when we saw. You know, we see that he's responsible for those last two episodes heavily, as we know, and those are pretty mixed episodes as an example. So you know. We're, We'll
0: see. Yeah, and I think what yeah. Brian mentions that, you know, Harberts and Berg weren't huge Trek fans. And I think that's something that probably a lot of people don't realize if they're not paying close attention because I thought, I think they did a good job, and Akiva as well. The three of them kind of did a good job pretending yeah. to be entrenched. they pulled it all Trek.
3: together. And I mean, kudos to them for basically rescuing the mess that was season one and making yes. it something. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that's good. Um, yeah. I, I think. I think they're in over their heads as a big part of it, you know? It's like, great, do that again, but better, you know? (laughs) (laughs) right.
0: But now we have Kurtzman stepping into be showrunner, and one thing that can be said for Kurtzman is that he's a huge Star Trek fan.
3: Yes, that we know, for sure. He definitely is.
0: So this will be the first time since Brian Fuller left, which is basically before the show really got (laughs) off the ground, that we've had a real Trek fan in the captain's chair.
3: Yeah, so I don't know what it means exactly for Kurtzman because he runs his own production company and was already a really busy guy Yeah, and and was overseeing parts of the process, of course, but not all of it because he was expecting, like, you know, his showrunners to do their part in the whole process. So we'll see what this all sort of looks like.
2: Yeah, I can't imagine he's too happy that he had to step in to, to take over the writer's room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, this can't, is he not, can't be happy. This is runs. not what he wanted to be doing. No, no. <laughs> you know?
0: I wonder what you guys think. How likely do you think it is that someone would be promoted from within? Because, it, yeah, like you say, Brian, I, I can't imagine that Crispin wants to stay in this position. It's a lot of work and he's got a lot of other yeah. stuff going on.
3: I think that's the million dollar question. And also the fact that we don't have a couple names that could, we think maybe there's a couple people that maybe might be natural fits to move forward mm-hmm. and you'll note that they're not their names aren't being thrown around. Like no one's name in fact is being thrown around.
2: Yeah, I, I think he's gonna I think he's gonna hold down the fort for the rest of the season. Okay. Yeah they, they need a stabilizing influence. And as we said especially after, you know, losing Fuller last year and all this other stuff. They can't be constantly churning through people. Yeah. You know, I think so yeah. I think Alex will run the room for the rest of the year and if discovery comes back for another year, then they'll bring in a new show. They'll right? bring someone. Yeah, mm.
3: yeah. I imagine it'll be sort of a, a light touch kind of guidance with the group that's already there. You know, because remember Harbertsenberg did plot out an outline for season two, so mm-hmm. this is about this is about them just sort of finalizing and executing. The back half of the season, mm-hmm. those They're
2: still great. writing though. They they're are still, still writing. writing. Right. They are still writing, and now if they they're gonna have like we were saying earlier because of the budget issues. They're probably gonna have to do a lot more reconfiguring than they were initially planning on doing. Right. So. Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll see, guys. We'll see how it all how it all plays out. It, this is definitely not the kind of publicity any TV show wants. Not at all. So it looks like it looks like the show. According to the CBS's press release, the show will not be back until next year, which goes against what we were kind of predicting would happen. But who knows? We'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, that was an interesting tidbit that was dropped in to, to this. Yeah. They just press. kind of
3: quietly dropped it in there and hoped. To, like, mm-hmm. think, I think yeah. oh, people
2: didn't notice in a way. <laughs> the show will be back in 2019.
0: Yeah, great. So. That's a
3: long because time in to theory,
2: wait. Yeah, yes. in theory. Yeah, it'll, be, it'll, be,
1: it'll, most, it'll be almost a year between seasons.
3: Yeah, almost exactly.
1: It's also a particularly yeah. long time to wait for something that doesn't, have a lot of buzz going for it right yeah i mean yeah. like when game of thrones or westworld if they wait like a year and a half for something people will still be excited a year and a half later but i don't know yeah. if, if this is going to be the same situation yeah
3: yeah they're gonna to have to try hard kind of to get it all hyped again it seems like yep
1: yep now something kayla i feel compelled to kind of be devil's advocate here for fecklar's advocate for uh <laughs> for uh, <laughs> discovery is I don't think this kind of behavior, this kind of shakeup, is that unusual early on in a show. when they're still getting their footing or sea legs or whatever term you want to use, but it's it's the kind of thing that gets a lot more attention nowadays than similar stuff might have gotten in 1987,
2: right? Sure, of course. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything is blown out of proportion now. Yes, that absolutely is true. Yeah, and Trek has definitely had its share of. Um... You know, changeovers. Some of them were not particularly dramatic or anything. Some of them were, you know, people just moving on and others were, as we'll discuss with Star Trek the next generation, some of them were quite dramatic. (laughs) Quite quite dramatic. (laughs) But without Um,
3: social media, it was all pretty quiet to the public,
2: honestly. Right. 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 I mean, going back to the original series, like right in the middle of the second season, Gene Kuhn, who is one of the the great geniuses of Star Trek, Mm -hmm. Gene just had enough. He was burned out, because Star Trek, the original Star Trek in particular, was a very punishing show to produce, and he was writing and, you know, doing the day-to-day production of the show, and it burned him out, and he kind of got into a, a disagreement with Gene Roddenberry about the tone of the show. I think Gene Kuhn liked more comedy. He had, he liked, you know, The Trouble with Tribbles, piece of the action. Yep. He, he was playing more with more broad comedy, and Gene Roddenberry... Thought that was a little over the top. I was trying to pull it back. And there was a lot of that going on. And I think he got tired. So he finally just walked away. And John Meredith Lucas stepped in and produced the re- the, the rest of the season. Now, that wasn't a big deal, obviously. Because Star Trek was not a big hit back in 1968. So, you know, that goes to show that it goes back to that. It goes that
1: far back, 50 years ago. Yeah. It's right. also kind of tough. I mean, you, you look at the episodes that... Gene Coon wrote and you think gosh how much stronger would the franchise have been if he'd stuck around a little bit longer yeah, yeah. right yeah yep.
2: Yeah. And, and then obviously at the end of the season John Meredith Lucas was not asked back and then Fred Freiberger ultimately came in with his buddy Arthur Singer who was the story editor and yeah they produced the original series Notorious third season <laughs>
0: <laughs> right,
2: and, and by then basically people people were just
3: like working out their contracts and leaving so a few people right. DC Fontana kind of just oversaw first few episodes and just got out of there so did Bob Justman you know yeah
2: yeah. I think Dorothy got fed up after the Enterprise incident and yeah, she, she, <laughs> she got rewritten a lot on that and then she walked away
1: yeah uh, sounds about right oh I never yeah. heard that yeah and, and
2: Bob Justman got so disgusted that he walked out of his yeah. contract and became Persona Non Grata at Paramount for like a decade wow. after that
3: wow <laughs> That's how bad that was, yeah. Yeah, was it like, got like, ugly
2: during the third season. Leonard Nimoy got into a lot of arguments with Freiberger. That yeah. was dramatic. Yeah. Although, obviously, yeah. we all didn't know about it at the time.
3: Yeah. Well, and then I think it's really telling that this guy, Arthur Singer, that was brought in you know, with Freiberger to be the story editor, uh, you know, DC Fontana re- recounts this thing where Arthur Singer's wandering around the sets, and he wandered up to their set editor and goes, well, what does this transporter thing do anyway? And you know it's like so you don't even know what you just signed on to be the story editor which is sort yeah. of the it's just sort of a one of the duties that maybe a showrunner would have today they didn't really have that title or concept really in the 60s but it's like really you don't even know what you just signed on to oversee and you don't really seem to care either Like that's you just awful kind of right so hey that's one of the reasons why season 3 really sucks at times yeah I
2: mean there were were monetary challenges to be fair too yeah I mean the the budget was cut fairly dramatically and they were stuck in a horrible time slot so there was morale problems not all of not all of what went wrong in season 3 was completely Freiburger's fault oh no
3: no but you know, starting with staff that doesn't care or doesn't know and doesn't care—that's not a
2: good yes. place to start. No, no, absolutely, not. absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely
0: not. So no. where is Roddenberry in all of this?
3: So he's out at this point, basically in name only. He's he's got an office that he keeps on the lot and is mostly like shopping around other work and thinking about what's next at this point.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gene, Gene originally when when. When the network renewed the series for the third season, Gene, in in exchange for a good time slot, Gene had promised to come back and line produce the show himself, like he had done during the first half of the first season. But once NBC moved the series to 10 o'clock on Friday nights, which was... designed, basically, to kill it. Yeah, yeah. it was designed to kill it. It was designed to kill it. And once that happened, Gene says, well, I'm not going to break my neck to do that. Mm. So he walked away. And and yes, he kept his office on the lot. But yeah, he ended up writing a feature film for for Rock Hudson called Pretty Maids All in a Row. And that's what he basically spent most of the third season doing. He was around from time to time. He'd come in from time to time. But... But for all intents and purposes From the day to day He was yeah. gone He's checked out Yeah, yeah. He checked out yeah. yeah He knew the star He knew the show was gonna die And he kind of just Moved on to his next thing Which you kind of have to do In Hollywood To be honest with you You gotta You know Survival of the fittest Type of thing
3: Right, right.
0: So it's interesting To look back um, At this History of Shake-ups and Trek All the way back To the original series Because what you Have just described Is not that Dissimilar At least in broad strokes to what's happening right now in Discovery, right? It's even season mm, right. two that where, you know, some people leave. It sounds like midway through season two. Um, and that, it sounds to me like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds to me that that is sort of like the beginning of the end for the original series. Uh,
3: season two kind of bounced back, but yeah. Yeah, it's, season it's, two is fine. But but, but, but what,
0: yeah. I'm just wondering if these events are part, part of what precipitated the end of hmm. TOS.
3: think yeah, I think it's part of, of everyone feeling, leadership. and everyone's starting to feel really burned out too, I think, you know, really burned by Gene Roddenberry, he's kind of a perfectionist and lots of stuff goes on, you know.
0: And with season three, you know, being, you know, being led by all these different people, it just seems like it was kind of in disarray.
2: Yeah, there was a lot of different reasons why the third season didn't work out. It wasn't just Fred Freiberger, it wasn't just Gene up being there, it was a combination of a lot of factors. Oh yeah, yeah. The
3: studio kind of barely allowing it to even happen, (laughs) you know? Yeah.
2: Star Trek was considered a gigantic money loser at the time. So
0: So maybe not so much of a parallel.
2: No, no, no. no. But the turmoil seems familiar, but maybe for
3: different reasons. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So after this, um, we we step from the original series into the original series movies. And at this point, it's really Harv Bennett that takes over, right?
3: Well, no, oh, no, no. let's let's rewind for a second. So, in the '70s, a little thing happens called uh, Star Wars, and <laughs> they look. Ar- Paramount looks around and goes, "Gee, we have a property that we could push forth into a space franchise, right? Don't we have a space franchise we could turn into a movie?" <laughs> and they go, "Oh yeah, there's that thing that we can- <laughs> that we haven't
2: really treated very well through most of the no, '70s, but that we're making a killing with in syndication. And That's right, in
3: syndication. They were." But other than that, they hadn't really treated it very well. Like before, outside of that, oh uh, well, yeah, well, well, yeah, in the seventies.
2: Well, in the mid seventies, they there were various incarnations attempted,
3: attempted, but never actually
2: got any. Yeah, one. Gene Gene was given his old office back on the Paramount line, I think, in like seventy four or seventy five, and came up with various treatments of various things that went nowhere. And then Phase Two came along. Right. The, the aborted second series with the original cast that didn't end up happening, and then they decided to make the motion picture. Right, and that was a Roddenberry production,
3: very much so. Star Trek: was, The Motion
2: Picture is very much a Gene Roddenberry production.
3: In fact, there's all kinds of more. There's all kinds of huh, drag down fights about that. That are, if you read about the motion picture over various things too. Yeah, yeah. The, the
2: motion picture it. is like yeah. The all the stuff that happened with TMP is can we can talk about the problems that movie had for hours.
3: Right. So we won't get into it, but there were, suffice to say there are lots of creative clashes early on as they were trying to figure out how to adapt some phase two stuff into a movie, how that would work, what it would look like. I mean, all kinds of things.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, most of the motion pictures problems occurred during post-production and Mm -hmm. Gene, whether rightly or wrongly took the blame for a lot of that and for the budget getting out of control in the movie Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was all Gene's fault. I don't think the studio did a particularly good job in keeping an eye on the effects and all the other issues that came along. Robert Wise also bears some of the blame for letting that happen. But the bottom line is Gene took the rap for it. And the studio already viewed Gene as a pain in the ass anyway. Yep. So it was a good excuse after the motion picture came out and they decided they wanted to make a second movie. They decided to basically kick Gene upstairs and gave him a very generous salary.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: To basically sit there
3: and endorse the product. Yeah, right. (laughs) become the
2: quote-unquote executive consultant on the movies. And he would give script notes, but nobody had to pay any attention to them. And I think it was at that point that Paramount bought out Gene's rights to Star Trek completely. Oh. I think that was... I think that made Gene very wealthy also. So that was kind of it. Like Gene got kind of pushed to the side and Harve Bennett came in and for the next several movies was the main creative figurehead of the Star Trek franchise. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty mellow actually for a few years after that.
3: Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yep. <clears throat> two, three, and four all get made. Well, actually two is a little bit of a controversy. <laughs> Partially thanks to Roddenberry. He was pissed that Spock was going to get killed and, rumored it to have leaked that to the press himself because he was annoyed but
1: oh so just but, out of
2: spite out of spite correct yikes yep. yeah because he was you know, not gene, really. was, gene was angry his baby got taken away from him I, yeah I, I yeah it's understandable
1: but, but
3: anyway yeah. basically but for the most part basically two three and four and five even really get get made with you know little drama overall Hmm. but yep that yearning to have, to, you know, real control over your baby. Never. Of course, of course, never left him. And, uh, that's where we get his urge to sort of really control and dictate what went on with the next generation.
1: Yep. Yeah. Which was smooth sailing, right? Nothing crazy happened. Oh, there, did oh, it? oh sure. Uh-huh. It was perfectly smooth. <laughs> <laughs> there certainly wasn't any chaos on the bridge. Was there? <laughs> no,
0: so this, this is something I'm really interested in hearing hearing about and listening to you guys kind of dive into because um, I feel like the three of you are more familiar with the history than I am. Um, and for for those listeners who aren't aware of the reference that Jared just made, he was referencing a, a documentary from, I think, 2016 um, by, William
2: Sounds Sh- about right. by William
0: Shatner called Chaos on the Bridge. And Shatner goes back and looks at the the tumultuous first three years of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and he talks a bit too about the history a little bit uh, touches on the history that you guys kind of went over not in so much detail but um how basically I I just watched this for the first time recently because of all that's happening with Discovery you know this this seemed to ring familiar so I wanted to learn more about it and um, yeah 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 I I I. He kind of steps you through um, Gene's uh, lose, loss of power uh, after the original series in the motion picture and then his his triumphant return to power over the franchise in TNG season one.
3: Yeah, he might see it as triumphant. It's quite fraught with struggle yeah. to get there, though. Um, it was. I have to say, also really kudos to Shatner and his documentary team. To getting some people who weren't really open to speaking before to really kind of be open and speak about this, yeah, video, no, right? no one
1: could, no one could have made that documentary except Bill.
3: Yeah, and, and yeah. so much time had passed. I think that really helps too to do it more. Yep. You know, talk to these guys way down the line. Mm-hmm. They've all mellowed. They'll all sort of talk about it now.
2: <laughs> yeah and, and there are other sources too if you want to learn more about it there on um, yep. the blu-rays for the first couple of two or three seasons of TNG those are excellent those yes. exhaustive documentaries by Roger Lay and Robert Burnett are really yep. good yep. Um, excellent. Mark excellent. Altman and Edward Gross's books that came out for the 50th anniversary cover a lot of this there's a lot of books out there that cover the turmoil of the first two or three years of the TNG
1: Huh. Mm-hmm.
2: a lot of really good stuff a lot of unbelievable stuff
3: <laughs> yeah yeah. to hear, to hear some of the stuff is just crazy so,
2: yeah, so if you're interested in it, I have There's plenty of material out there for you to dive into.
3: We should give the short version of that though, since we're talking. All about right,
2: it. Matt, go for it.
3: Uh-oh, how do I do the short version?
2: There's so much stuff. to <laughs> um, Let's see. Well, so what, notes.
3: one of the one of the sort of interesting things that we just talked about is that really Star Trek is now fully owned by Paramount, right? And so right. they don't exactly need Gene Roddenberry to do anything for them to make another Star Trek show. Not really, but 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 practically in the real world they really do need his blessing because
1: yeah cause, shrekies cause that,
3: would never accept that without
1: at, at that point his main asset is as a brand ambassador exactly yes so for, very for the, much i so. mean it would tank
3: the show if it, if it didn't have his endorsement right i mean it would just never get off the ground so they right. know that and so even though they could do pretty much whatever they pleased at that point there's this interesting kind of you know back and forth where they sort of have to court him and say you know well do you want to develop this next generation show we're already going to kind of you know we've already set some plans in motion, but we you know what do you think oh great bird of the galaxy you know defer to him and like try and get him on board and there's all kinds of terrible stories about uh kind of bluffing over rights and who gets to come back and for what kind of pay you know like how he's executive producer and oh, i don't know there's there's so many stories about that it's very interesting and kind of a tough thing and i think the the figure that really stands out in all this and it's kind of unbelievably so is that roddenberry got basically got to play kind of good cop and then he hired his lawyer yeah leonard mazelish to be the bad cop sort of in these negotiations and that's a name that we don't really hear a lot until you start to look into this sort of first season turmoil and then you see this guy's name everywhere and it's like who is this guy well apparently he was this guy this bulldog that was sicked on anyone that didn't exactly Go with gene's flow and that's a really tough position to put yeah the entire production in because yes. every single person in the production got at some point got confronted and like yelled at basically by this guy who was supposedly representing gene's interests it's great it's crazy
2: yeah and part of the problem that was going on while that was happening was that gene's health was starting to deteriorate mm-hmm.
3: right so he was feeling less virile and you know sort of able to wage the you know battles of what he thought his you know the vision should be himself and so i think this lawyer very opportunistically went aha i could be his bulldog for him like and probably exceeded what he should have done you know i think is kind of the general (laughs) the general sort of uh, feeling is that he probably exceeded his mandate but it didn't matter you know that's just it was just what happened and that bullied a lot of people out of the show basically it bullied longtime people that he had recruited. It bullied Bob, you know, names we've heard before. It bullied Bob Justin out of working on TNG. It bullied David Gerald out of working on, mm-hmm. you know, DC Fontana. All these guys that Gene very smartly circled himself with and recruited back to work on Next Gen. And you know, he wanted to pick people that he could trust that he was working on. And all it did was damage that relationship with them through his lawyer. And yeah. they all left. They all were just like, why would I up with this you know so it's it's a rough time
2: yeah i think he alienated bob justman from gene and bob justman was kind of like gene's conscience in many ways (laughs) i think so yeah and when when once he was out of the picture i think that also made the situation even worse
3: yeah it just seems really rough and of course they bring in some people who they bring in maurice hurley who is kind of a well-known name for blame Mm. about season one and season two whether that's maybe justified i don't know but they start to bring in these outsiders right and they place them as like the head writer over dc fontana and david gerald and they're going why would you do that you know what in what world does that make sense and it's kind of like the final straw you know it's very insulting to them that why would you bring this guy does like cop shows in and then put him in charge and It's really interesting to hear Maurice Hurley's side because he's not exactly like apologetic about it Hmm. either. He just kind of, he saw this sort of opportunity and was also sort of thrust into it. It's kind of a a bit of both, right? And so he took this opportunity and said, okay, well then I'm going to run with it. And it's it's interesting. I don't know how I feel about that. You know, it's like maybe he was judged a little harshly, but at the same time, he also totally leapt at the chance to just like, usurp power basically in and, and showrun.
2: Yeah. Well I, I think Gene had already alienated David Gerald and Dorothy a bit by yeah. the time Maury Hurley came in. Sure, so and that was the that it was the... necessarily I don't think it was Hurley running over Dorothy and Gerald No, it was so
3: it was just the last straw basically, I think at that yeah,
0: point. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I found it interesting they talk a lot about that in Chaos on the Bridge and he does not come across he comes across as kind of a jerk.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's definitely. It was a tough old sob. Yeah. Even
0: even even in his modern interviews.
3: Yeah. He's He's not he's not really sorry about any of it or anything. No. No.
0: And he's just he's going on and on about how he says it multiple times that Gene Roddenberry's ideas were quote wacky doodle. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just like basically this Gene guy is crazy and he just wants you know his ideas about the future are crazy and so that's just we're not going to do that and it's right
3: so so. Yeah, it's one, he rises it, to power and just ignores it. Kind yeah, of, and it's you know. it's
0: one thing to say, okay, you know, Gene's ideas get go a little bit too far because obviously, I think a lot of people realize just from watching TNG, particularly the first two seasons, that this this idea that Gene had about how there's not allowed to be any conflict between the characters, yeah. you just, know, made the writing suffer and made the stories suffer. Yeah. And so, and, and
1: and Ronald Moore articulated that very well and very diplomatically in the, in the yes.
0: movie in, yeah in the documentary um, and, he no. said,
3: and he said the same kind of that same sentiment many times he, he does it so well like articulates why yeah that's a, a blessing and a curse sort of and how hard that is
0: yeah and they, i mean they even talk about oh it gave us you know new, i had to be it was challenged to find new ways to write stories and things like that but in the end it seems like the consensus is it's not a good way to tell a story because well for one thing it's not realistic you know and there's there's one thing it's one thing to say that i think about gene's ideas and it's another thing about to say you know the man's basically just a, a loon and i'm going to completely uh, throw uh, away his uh, his that, ideas
2: that's not that's not the impression i got from that interview at all hmm. he just he just thought some of Gene's ideas were crazy, but he tried to fit within those. He says that in the in the interview. Yeah, right?
3: well, that that's what's weird is there's almost this kind of like duality about it. He says that on the one hand, and then apparently staunchly stuck to other aspects to the point where he continued to alienate people throughout season yeah. two as well. You know, it's he, weird. He
2: was worried. He, he had the answer to Gene and Rick Berman. He didn't give a shit about anybody else, right.
3: right? And 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 that I don't give a shit about anything else. Attitude even shows to this day, like Kayla said, you can just see yeah.
2: it. Yeah let us not speak ill of the dead he's no longer with us maurice hurley so
3: oh yeah i guess he yeah well th- that interview was so recent i f- but i forgot that no it's been a, yeah that was yeah, a couple yeah years
2: he ago. died like a year after he did the that's interview or right like that.
3: well anyway see that's the other thing that's happening is the people are dying and they can't even really give their firsthand experience anymore to some of this like i would it's such a shame that for example we could not get more from bob justman because of course he's been gone for a while You know, it's people like that that I'd really love to hear from Hmm. because they might be they might have been able to be really candid at this point. It's been so long, you know, it would be kind of cool. But anyway,
0: so I'm wondering if you guys mind if I swing this back around and talk about discovery a little bit.
3: Please do. Swing it back. Let's weave it in. Weave it back.
0: So, yeah. So I think bringing this back to what's going on right now with discovery i think a lot of people are wondering you know what this means going forward obviously we don't know the answer to that but i'm wondering if you guys think that there can be lessons learned from the history that we just discussed from the original series and from the next generation and these showrunner shakeups that were going on in these two series And, you know, what can we learn from those and how does that relate to what we're seeing happening right now in Discovery? Or does it? Is it maybe not even similar at all? What do you guys think?
3: Well, I Mm. think that the biggest lesson is actually the part that we didn't quite cover, which is in season three of TNG. They very smartly get Michael Piller on board. And he starts to have a really good kind of unifying vision of how you work. And then sometimes get around, but mostly work inside of the lines that Gene has, you know, put Mm. forth. So I think the biggest lesson there is it takes a, a certain kind of person. And by the way, Pillar wasn't exactly a Trek fan either. So it doesn't mean you have to be a Trek fan. Hmm. No, absolutely. But, That's but absolutely it, true. Right, Nick Meyer wasn't either. Right, Nick Meyer wasn't either. But it takes a certain person to kind of see what's going on, understand what's necessary. And, and by the way, it, it often means a different tact, right? Like, like Pillar came in and took a totally different point of view about how you write the stories than it had been done in season one and two. And out of it, he got really great results, right? Like we were talking about in our last shuttle pod, you could pretty much argue that somewhere, what, around mid-season three to mid-season six is, like, an amazing time for TNG, right? Well, that's all thanks to Michael Piller, basically. Mm -hmm. So um, I think what we need is a a good showrunner with a clear voice who who clearly also understands or at least comes to understand, because obviously you don't have to know anything ahead of time necessarily, but comes in understands thing and can most importantly see the talent of the writing crew that you have and mm-hmm. use it pro- and use it appropriately
0: hmm. So be a good leader said Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: if you listen to like what guys like brandon braga and ron d Moore say about pillar they revered him they thought he was really amazing a tough guy to, yeah. to work for sometimes but but that was good you know that wasn't a bad thing and they loved his kind of direction they loved what he did and they felt really supported and you know challenged and supported both by him and that's the you know that's what you need right that's what you're hoping for i think an ideal kind of creative situation like that
0: mm-hmm.
3: well said matt that's hard to come by of course so i don't envy these guys the task of perhaps finding a new showrunner for season three you know mm-hmm.
2: yeah we'll see
0: it seems like that's almost certainly going to happen with discovery
2: it seems you would like think it. so yeah. you would think so yeah 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 he's kurtzman simply has too much on his plate he's ep of i don't know how many other shows that are sure. CBS. he's got at least and,
3: two other cbs shows and this
2: and right that. he's got his feature stuff whatever else he's doing like he's he's a, he's a one-man band so yeah
3: so yeah what that means for season two i don't know it seems like, like again we're going to have this thing where the first half may be fairly cohesive to the vision that Bergen and harbert's had and in the second half because that's about probably where they are in terms of fleshing out scripts maybe a little different maybe a little looser maybe sort of drift in a different direction because no, you know what the, the people who had this clear concept are gone again i don't think mm-hmm. it'll be as dramatic and kind of strangely shift the way it was with, I agree. With, the, with the loss of fuller i don't think it'll be like that
2: yeah i agree yeah, I don't think yeah, yeah, I don't think we'll see so many weird tonal shifts yeah. like we saw in the first season.
1: Like like bringing back the beloved comic figure of Harry Mudd and making him a violent murderer, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that.
3: Well, so, you know, all of this isn't all necessarily doom and gloom either. All this chaos can sometimes, you know, lead to a really great period of, you know, productivity and great output. Um, I think We should, you know, mention that after all this, you know, turmoil in the next generation, of course, we got really, you know, really great seasons. And, of course, what that did was also set up a kind of nice formula and a machinery of sorts to create Deep Space Nine and later Voyager. And both of those series actually had very nice, smooth handoffs from one showrunner Mm -hmm. to another midway through both of their showruns. So it's entirely possible, of course, to change showrunners smoothly and you know easily it just depends how of course they leave (laughs) but yes (laughs) um (laughs) i think that's the biggest issue um but but a credit you know to to rick berman and and the era he oversaw was that they really did do two shows very smoothly um very smoothly and even you know next gen smoothed out almost right away you know in a couple a couple years and Mm -hmm while enterprise had its ups and downs i wouldn't say that it was super fraught with drama though it did of course have a a change in showrunner but it wasn't Mm -hmm. so chaotic i would say i think it was for a good reason and it was partially because well they didn't really quite know what to do with enterprise and i think a lot of fans including i think most of us kind of feel that what season four with manny koto taking over from brandon braga did was kind of what we were looking for all along which was a lot of Mm -hmm. more sort of connective tissue between enterprise and the original series and Kodo had the
0: the muscles and ligaments that hold the universe together
3: (laughs) i suppose yeah
1: i I, i'm glad you bring bring that up Matt, because i was actually feeling kind of bad that we our episode we did about nostalgia we didn't talk about the fourth season of enterprise at all because I mm. thought they did a great job with their nostalgia stuff, and that was also the time before, for lack of a better expression, we were all drowning in blue milk with so much nostalgia all the time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank, yeah. thank you. Yeah, it was, it was
3: all generally well executed. Yeah. Um, but yeah. He also did things that I think, f- you know, fixed of sorts, you could call. Um, things that people had issues with, especially the early seasons of Enterprise, where the Vulcans were far more jerky and arrogant, and it doesn't make does not really fit you know with the vulcans that we knew yeah um a hundred years later or so uh, i think he did a really great job those guys uh because it's not just manny Cotto, i should say he also brought in writers like the like the garfield reeve stevens or whatever Judith and garfield mm-hmm. right yeah um and a few other people that really knew their stuff right and so i think together they did a lot of really great wit uh sort of healing of the weirdness of the vulcans i think they did a good job <laughs> figuring out a way to explain it and then move them forward to a new sort of enlightenment you know of vulcans basically uh i don't know so overall i found season four to be pretty satisfactory it's funny though that i think I, i've actually seen a lot of people say they don't like it as much and i think they don't like it as much because it feels so um oh like they're trying to connect it to tos but of course like people like it for that too so it's a little polarizing
2: yeah
1: i think there's almost too much fan service at mm-hmm. times the the one where it's particularly egregious for me is the uh the augments where they really go overboard with trying to resurrect uh, ideas from uh, wrath of khan oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah also well, they make course... the augments way too augmented it's like they're all spider-man <laughs> It's crazy. Yeah. It's like, in Space Seed, Kirk just beats Con up with a with a bar, right? That's it. He's not... Yeah. Anyway. That's anyway. right. Well, we'll yeah. I'll, I'll go and, off and more these on this when like we do our dodge. Into Darkness episode. Yeah.
0: Yeah, one yeah. day. One well, day. so, the only thing... I think... I think yeah, one day. Uh,
3: the only other thing I would say that I think is a little too silly, honestly, that it's one of those things that never needed addressing, but they did, and then it actually kind of creates a, creates a dilemma now, in a way... Is they felt the need to address the smooth foreheaded Klingons in canon? I yeah, thought it was and I don't cool. really. Well, it is, but it isn't because now it officially became a thing that actually is very contradictory to like the real world fact that hey, they just changed the makeup and people like Roddenberry around the time of the motion picture were like, this is how they always looked. If I'd had the budget, you know what I mean. It it creates a weird sure. sort of contradictory thing to that. Now it's not the end of the world, but it's just like okay we could have probably just left it alone and everyone would have been fine as see, well you know the
1: the the other problem with that is then they need to explain every other visual difference among every alien species right and,
3: and that's exactly why it's problematic because now it's like everything must have an explanation for why yeah. we improved our makeup technique or tweaked this anyway yep. we're digressing slightly but <laughs> the, the the point is even see even that even that was a was a showrunner change that wasn't this you know it wasn't terrible and it wasn't awful it was a, it was a change and it was an important one but even so there wasn't a, you know this huge drama nobody was right. freaking out and it was pretty well handled overall
0: so here's what i'm so, taking from this is mm-hmm. is that there is what seems to be a lot of chaos going on behind the scenes right now at discovery um, and in part mm-hmm. that is due to the, as Jared put it, the extra scrutiny that shows today are under. So we're seeing all this happening Mm -hmm. in real time, and we're hearing, um, you know, all these rumors and little juicy details coming out um, of all the drama that's going on there. So it seems like this really chaotic time there, and it might be. But if we can learn anything from Trek's past, you know, we have this great massive data set to pull from for events like this. And if we can learn anything from, from Trek's past is that You know, this doesn't necessarily answer whether the show's going to go off the rails or whether it's going to be great. But we have examples where kind of both things have happened, where a showrunner shakeup has led to um, a lot of negative things happening. But at the same time, um, it sounds like this is a really great example uh, is with TNG, where there's this showrunner shakeup that ended up leaving, leading to what you might call the golden era of Star Trek. Like you said, season three to season six, something like that. So, so, so it ended up being a blessing in that case. So it's hard to know what's going to happen right now with discovery, but uh, it it, it helps me anyway, to put it into this context of what's happened in Trek's past.
3: Yeah, I think so. And I think it also means that we're going to have even longer, an even longer time kind of holding out and to judge discovery because you know how, like we were sort of saying, well, season one sort of hard to judge season two by, because it's going to be very different because the fuller shakeup is now history well now we're going to have this kind of thing where we can judge season two but we might want to kind of reserve judgment about sort of discovery's place in the legacy until if and when there's a season three because we're going to have another new sort of you know form of discovery in season three and so it's a lot like with the tng era where you you know, you you sort of tell someone new who's, you know, maybe exploring the next gen for the first time, don't judge next gen by season one. Right. Really don't judge it by season two either. Please keep going. It's, you know, it's like, please hang in there. And I think that's sort of where we're going to land now is, you can't quite judge season two by season one, and I don't know if you're going to be able to judge a uh, future season three by season two either. Yeah, well said. We'll, we'll see. You know, yeah. So put it's, your yep.
0: pitchforks away, everybody. <laughs> Wait
3: until we actually get something of substance, and then we'll see. You know, then <laughs> get yep, your pitchforks
0: yep. out. So just <laughs> be sharpening <laughs> them quietly in the background for now. Exactly. Just get, just...
2: get your no,
1: Get your bat left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's
0: right. Well, I've, I've said my piece. I don't know if anyone else wants to say anything else in particular. I,
1: I have a trek anecdote. Oh, okay. yes. Oh. So my cousin Devon is an extra, like in films and TV shows. Mm-hmm. He's just in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of a cool like hobby that he started with that he's actually being able to play into some decent money. And he recently had an opportunity to meet uh, Marina Sirtis when he was oh, cool. an extra on one of her, her movies that was being shot here in Utah. And Aww. he, you know, he got permission to, like, go up in between takes and talk to her and get a picture with her and everything. And as he, I wasn't there, but he's was telling me the story a little while ago. He was gushing over her and, you know, just so excited to meet her. And he said uh, at one point, I- I'm a really big fan, a really big Star Trek fan. And she said, yes, I can tell. Right. As though <laughs> oh She's seen this a hundred times and is so Aww. delightfully graceful about it. Anyway, I was a little, I was a little jealous, but uh, glad that he had such a cool experience. Oh,
0: cool. That's Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Do you happen to know what she was cool. filming?
1: Uh, I, can, uh, I can track it down. I don't remember off the top of my head and wouldn't want to say something wrong on the record.
0: <laughs> sure. No problem.
1: Fair enough.
0: All right, guys. Well, I think that pretty much does it for us today on the Shuttle Pod. Get a little dose of history in you. You know, track history. Get some. Um, exactly <laughs> yeah, and, actually, and come back
1: come back in two weeks when we go through all of the troubled production that uh, that w- there was on the animated series
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh and if you i just want to also shout out to um a previous podcast that we did um because we've, we've we've talked you know throughout this this episode about some of the chaos behind the scenes with season one, particularly regarding the, the, the departure of Brian Fuller. I think particularly germane to, to what Matt was saying with, you know, we can't judge season two based on season one and all of this stuff. Um, I would, I would, uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to shuttle pod at the disco episode 15. Um, if you want to hear more about that, because we do, um, we do lay out quite a nice uh, history of those events there.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, guys. So that does it for us. We will see you next week on the ShuttlePod podcast. Bye, everybody. Take care.
2: Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.